You've heard the headlines. Get some perspective now with Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Good morning to you and a happy Friday. We're going to go ahead and kick the show off today with some information. A ex-priest indicted locally for abusing children. The lead. Yeah, 74-year-old former Valley priest has been charged with sexually abusing two boys. A state grand jury Wednesday indicted Father John, otherwise known as Jack Spaulding, on six counts of sexual misconduct with a minor and one count of molestation of a child. He was a Catholic priest at St. Gabriel's in Cave Creek and St. Timothy in Mesa when the crimes allegedly occurred. And another instance of uh, uh, someone where you could certainly make an argument, it appears that others were aware of improper behavior for some time and covered it up. You say others. I'm trying does, to... Does yeah. the name former Bishop Thomas O'Brien... For example. ...ring a bell? Going those, all, all the way to the top. I mean, yeah. And I mean, and, and this is also uh, the former Phoenix Bishop who was found guilty of a hit and run and fatally killing somebody. So the the reality of this specific story is that uh, I don't think there's anything shocking or new ab- about it. Sadly. Sadly right? Sadly. That, that this is part of a pattern that we've seen and justice that is coming no matter how delayed it might be. But it brings up an interesting question. And... I saw this story. So so see where my mind goes on this, Pamela. That a, a woman in Oregon is actually suing the church, the Mormon church, because the church reported his confessed sexual abuse of a minor, you know, to a member of the church, and they in turn told authorities this guy's in jail yeah so the wife is now going after the church she's suing the church for nine and a half million dollars for basically saying that there should be a warning sign on the front door of the church and you can play the uh, on the on, on on the door of the confessional that says warning anything you say may or use may or, can or will be used against you in a court of law so pretty much what she's saying is that um they were following what they were supposed to do within the religion and and that was to confess their sins right told her husband to confess the abuse as required by church rules right the confession was passed along to authorities and then it comes the investigation and they found him to be guilty so the church she says failed to advise the couple that if you followed the guidance and confessed his sins he would be reported to the authorities, oh, for God's saying the church should have warned her husband that the confession would not stay private. So we started doing some digging yeah. to find out what are the rules of this, I, because I was born and raised Catholic. OK, so in the eighth grade, I, you know, well, in, in the second grade, I had my first confession. <laughs> okay. All right. So you have your first communion and then you go to confession of which I hated. Um and I was always taught that whatever you share and you confess to the priest in those situations, stay between you, priest, and God. That it was the cone of silence. It was the circle of trust. Or the cone of silence. Sure. I like that. Um, and you know what? 
that's still pretty much true. Yeah, because even though, and 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 again, in trying to understand this, it appears that there's been attempts to make it very clear and then immediately follow up with exceptions. Because let's use Arizona, for example. In Arizona, in Arizona, peace officers, child welfare investigators, child safety workers, members of the clergy, priests, or Christian science practitioners are obligated to report any suspected child abuse. That's what it says. But. There literally is a but in there. (laughs) But many states... Arizona being one of them that that asks clergy to report abuse. I have that. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have the ex- are you ready? Do you want to? Okay. Read the so I'm going to read it to you. Oh, okay. I didn't know you had. I'm, I'm not. I'm not uh, paraphrasing too much here. Clergy, Christian Science practitioner yeah, or priest yeah. again that, that thing who has received quote confidential communication or a confession unquote during the course of their church work quote may withhold reporting of the communication or confession if it's determined that it is reasonable and necessary within the concepts of the religion. Well, within the concept, I know that the the lawsuit is dealing with the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Specifically, yeah. And I'm not all that well-versed, so I'm trying to make the distinction here. Even though I was born and raised Catholic, I wouldn't even say I'm very well-versed in Catholicism, but I do know that confession is an integral part of that religion. Therefore, um, you know, parishioners confess their sins to a priest. They ask forgiveness. That's part of it. And it would be protected in that regard. Kind of like, I guess the best way to explain this to people, kind of like, you know, uh, attorney-client privilege. Anything you say law, to your attorney stays between the two of you. He's not going to turn around and testify against you. Same thing when you're in those confines of... Like confession. Again, I don't know what that looks like in the Mormon church. Yeah. I only know what that looks like in Catholicism. Well, confiding in any way, shape, or form to him. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's because I don't they know if it's the, any way, shape, or form. They say the exception, the exception for clergy, Christian science practitioners, or priests is it does not apply if you make a personal observation of abuse or neglect. It seems like that is a you you've really you're really walking a fine line. And, and all I would turn around and say is, how does the, and I'm going to use the terms in the law, the clergy, the Christian science practitioner, or the priest, who becomes aware of child abuse, sexual molestation, whatever it might be of a child, how do they not act upon that? Well, how does... How do you sleep at night? How does an attorney sleep at night? How does a therapist sleep at Yeah, night? but if you have an attorney, you've already been accused of something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we're, we're talking different. about the legal I, I mean, process. I, I, and I get the point that you're making because a top priority should caught. always be to protect <laughs> children. Yeah. You know, absolutely. But I can only imagine what priests hear. But we don't make the exception for police officers. We don't make the ex- we don't make the well, exception for a variety of other people. Law enforcement versus spiritual Te- advisors are not accept. Uh, uh, right, and teachers shouldn't be either because they're they're responsible for the safety of children. You only have six states in this country, which I thought that was kind of interesting. Only six states that require that whenever 
somebody within a church, any church, hears anything regarding abuse, whether it be witnessing something or hearing it in the confession, there are six states of which you are required to report New Hampshire, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Rhode Island, Texas, and West Virginia, Mm -hmm. that they deny that priest parishioner privilege, if you will. Right. In Arizona, if you're one of the mandated reporters... Okay, you're one of the people that uh, uh, you are a a physician, again, police officer, school personnel, um, step-parent guardian, and you are aware of suspected abuse or neglect. Failure to report is a class six felony. Yeah, if you if you have to be a mandatory reporter, yeah. And again, priests, members of the clergy, Christian science are part of that, except... except for any reason that they can come up with that they say is part of their no, it's not any teaching? reason. No, really, it, no, it's not any reason. I, I think you're painting with a very broad brush. Explain, in that okay, because I, I, it looks to me like you could use that exception for everything. You, 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 could you twist it? Is it a loophole? I can absolutely acknowledge that it can be used as a loophole. And again, I'm talking about the Catholic Church in this regard, um, they, they haven't done very well in uh, self-reporting and dealing with these issues in the past, hence one of the reasons why I've left the church. So this puts me in a very interesting place. But I, I do believe that what they're talking about, for me, and maybe I've got it wrong, but when you go into that confessional and you kneel down and you have that conversation that is what's protected. It's not every conversation you have with the priest, because not every conversation you're having with the priest is one where you're looking for forgiveness or um, absolution, you know, the absolution of your sins. So we're getting into kind of like theology here a bit, but uh, I don't think that that is, it's a loophole. Yes, I can absolutely concede that. But is it an end-all, be-all that gives all clergy, all priests, all spiritual advisors carte blanche to to, to look the other way, I, I don't believe that. Interesting that the woman is suing the church for basically not telling them. Well, that. the church is uh, again yeah. the 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 Church of, of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is standing by their decision, and good yeah. for them. They say the church teaches that leaders and members should fulfill all legal obligations to report abuse to civil authorities. That this is what they teach, and really, in essence, what they're kind of saying is they should have known. And, and we're going to protect the children as opposed to protect yep. the criminal. Right? I, have, I don't have a problem with that part. Yesterday, we, taught, we thought the city of Phoenix was becoming the gold standard when it comes to e-scooters. Today, we're not so sure. We'll tell you what happened overnight. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. You know, just yesterday, we had the story about some new... Uses of technology, specifically something called geofencing, that was aiming to alleviate the problem when it came to these e-scooters, these uh, limes, birds, razors, uh, being left willy-nilly 
all over the place that you had to return them to a specific place under penalty of money. How's mm-hmm. that? And we thought, well, that seems like a, a reasonable uh, 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 middle ground here. Right? And, and other cities thought the same, yeah. that the geofencing that was required by the Lime Scooters in the city of Phoenix yeah. would be that you have to put them back in one of their little parking spots, their little corrals. And if you don't do that, then you can't end your ride. So it's just like continue return- to charge you. It's like returning your shopping cart to the corral. Yeah, but you don't, you're not required to do that. Not There's required. no charge. This would be a requirement, and they were going to... Safeway was going to charge if you didn't do it. And this is one of the restrictions that the city of Phoenix put in place. Uh, at the time that they were looking at this regulation, you had both Lime and Bird operating, both pulled out of the city of Phoenix while this regulation was mm-hmm. being developed, and Lime eventually returned. Bird didn't bring back the scooters. Got it. Other cities looking at what Phoenix did and their program we were talking about just yesterday could be a model for other cities. Okay, good. Less than what, eight hours after we had that conversation here on our air? um, Lime pulls its scooters out of 12 markets, including Phoenix, and lays off staff. What the? I, I can't keep up. Well, now, there, this apparently is not directly tied to the geofencing No, actually, I think plan. it is. You think no, it is? No, absolutely. I think oh, it is. okay. That the, the company is struggling to make a profit, okay? Right. And they're not getting a lot of ridership. In fact, uh, super producer Stevie Z was just down in Phoenix, uh, downtown Phoenix, what, earlier this week, Steve? Are you over there? Okay, yeah. And, uh, I mean, you saw these everywhere, but how many people did you actually see riding them? I think I saw... This is the first time that I actually saw scooters downtown because I used to live downtown yeah. and I went back for the first time in a while. And they are everywhere. The scooters are everywhere. And they're in those little parking spots that yeah. they the painted corrals. for them. Yeah, 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 the yeah. corrals. And um, some of them more neat and tidy than others. I saw one person riding a scooter. What time of day were you down there? 4.30 in the okay. afternoon. So I think that, that Around the, the time I thought people would be getting out of work. So the company, they're not making money because there's a little ridership, right? You think you saw one person. And they're facing these regulatory challenges well, in some of these markets. I, and I guess like that's what fencing. Which, which is the reason behind it. Like Steve Point makes the point, you see them everywhere and people are not using them. Therefore, they're not making money off it. Are they pulling out because they're just not? The, the novelty's worn off. They're not convenient. Or is it you guys are putting too many barriers uh, 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 with this and therefore we're going to go to I think pastures? it's both because you yesterday talked about when you go to California and you don't ride them. Why don't you ride them, Bruce? Because I, I cannot figure out the rules. Okay, so. I don't know what the rules are. So, so there's your one-two punch. You have low ridership. Bruce isn't riding any of these things. And why isn't Bruce riding any of these things? Because of the regulations. He can't figure them out. It's a one-two punch. And that's what they're kind of mm. seeing in these markets. 12 that markets, including Phoenix. Uh, Lime is pulling out of San Diego as well. And I know that those things are they're all everywhere. over San Diego. Now, that doesn't mean other companies. Because nowadays, I see ones like all the time. I'm like, I didn't know that was one. Yeah. I, wait a minute. I don't have that app. You know? And so it, it, when there was... First, there was Bird, like, and it was the only one, and all they were were the black scooters. Then came Lime. Oh, we've got a choice between black and neon green. Now you've got a Razor, which was red. Orangey red, right? Yeah, yeah. There's Spin. See, so is this also a more competition is coming in yeah. and therefore the opportunity to well, make money is going to There's going to have to be consolidation Without is what that yes. comes down to. And 
I, you know, I think this was just somewhat inevitable, but I do find it interesting that just, you know, hours after we talk about putting Phoenix up on this pedestal of how they're doing things right when yeah. it comes to scooters and other cities are, are, are looking and trying to model behavior after the city of Phoenix. Lime goes, yep, we're pulling out of Phoenix. Awesome. Wow. I just don't think they need them downtown. Just not a place that downtown it's, Phoenix isn't like downtown San Diego or like Santa Monica. It's like there's not a lot of people walking to other places, and it's three blocks in any direction. You're where you are. Pretty much everybody there is working, and they drove downtown. There is that. There is that's a good argument. Maybe it's just not conducive to it. Unlike other places where people don't have cars and they're looking for a way to get around. So. We oh, Just a couple of weeks ago, a brand new freeway opened. 22 miles of new freeway. The Loop 202 extension through round back of South Mountain. And we've already had wrong way drivers and a wrong way fatality on it. Let's bring in the director of Arizona's DPS, Colonel Frank Milstead, to help us understand what's going on on the freeway still and the use of technology, or dare I say maybe the lack of technology on these freeways. We're talking about it next on Arizona's News Station. Arizona's News Station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Hey, and a good morning to you. Joining us in studio right now, he is the director of Arizona DPS, our friend, Colonel Frank Milstead. Colonel Frank, good morning to you. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Pamela. Thanks for having us here again this morning. It's good to be back. Your job got a little bit harder. You know, if you think about it, over the holidays, you got 22 miles of new freeway to uh, to patrol the new Loop 202, basically from the Chandler area going all the way around, meeting up with I-10 over at about, what, 59th? Somewhere right around there? there? Yeah. Okay. And, and actually, I would tell you, uh, it's more to patrol, but the relief that it allows to the tunnel in, uh, in I-10 going going through the middle of town is already been noticeable is for it? commuters. Yes. I mean, even I go through that tunnel twice a day, every day, Yeah, and it's already easier to get on and off there. So uh, I think all in all, it was a really good idea because it gets most of those trucks to go around Bypass. Central Phoenix. Yeah. Yes. But okay. I mean, just two weeks after that stretch of freeway opened up, we had another wrong way driving incident. Yeah. And it was the driver of the wrong way vehicle that, that, that hit a commercial vehicle and the driver... Uh, died in all of that. Um, question for you, though, Colonel. We're, we're finding out that this summer, the wrong way detection equipment is going to be installed on that portion of the 202 South Mountain Freeway. Do you believe it should have been installed prior to it opening? You know, I think that's up for debate. I would tell you that this last accident, uh, I've seen the video from inside the truck. Uh, it's uh, mind-boggling. Uh, it To me, it looks intentional, and I don't oh. know that we'll ever know that, but it looks, uh, the truck driver sees the uh, the vehicle coming, and he is literally talking in the cab saying, wrong way driver, and he's moving over to get out of the way, and the uh, wrong way driver continues to move into the path mm. of the truck. It's very interesting, okay. uh, and who knows what that is, but Obviously. the wrong way driver phenomenon is nationwide, um, and that detection system system only lets us know that somebody entered. Well, this guy knew someone entered. He saw it. He saw it coming. Um, and then you have to have somebody to respond and to try to intercept a missile going the wrong way on the freeway. Good point. Uh, it's, it's great.
great technology, but it's does it is not a, a panacea to the wrong way driving problem. But let's back up a second for folks listening right now going, oh, wait, there's going to be some new technology. There's going to be this wrong way detection system. Explain to listeners what exactly it is that we're talking about. So the detection system is a thermal camera, which means it basically picks up the heat, uh, senses a car uh, day or night. It can see the, ca- the, the car and it knows that a car is coming the wrong way and entering the freeway. It starts to flash lights on the ramp, tell people they're going the wrong way, and it tries to get this impaired driver, which are most of them are impaired, to not enter the freeway and to self-correct. Does it do anything for people like me who are just driving on the road? It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't tell you that uh, there is a problem up ahead. And, and the only thing you're going to get as a driver currently is those overhead signs will say to you, wrong way driver. And our, our I've traffic, seen them. Yeah, our, our traffic operations center immediately lights up those signs that someone's coming. But this, this, again, is one of the challenges is that impaired people don't act correctly. I mean, I don't know if you've ever just for whatever reason seen someone driving the wrong way on the, on the road. But even all the little reflectors on the roadway, they shine they're, red. They're red if you go in the wrong right. way. And, and they don't – I mean, it should, and that should tell you, yeah. holy cow, something's wrong here. Right. But um, it, it does – like you said, I don't – the problem is impaired driving. The problem is that people are doing uh, illicit, illegal drugs, drinking, and they're driving their automobiles. And that has to stop. We're talking to Colonel Frank Milstead, director of Arizona DPS. I wanted to touch on something, and I saw people reposting it. I thought it was new. I went back and realized it's older. I want to know if it's still in place, that the uh, the meters, the freeway on-ramps, yes. during rush hour, you know, you might get a red light, and you got to wait, green light, and you can now merge onto the freeway. That is the system still in place if there's a wrong-way driver they will go red. And that was for a while. ADOT had that for a while. I that was something that they were talking about. I didn't know that ever took place. And yeah. I don't know the and answer. We don't know the answer. Okay, fair enough. And I didn't mean to spring it on you, but nope. I literally saw people like retweeting and reposting this. It went back to 2018 from ADOT. That and if I, you're at two in the morning and the traffic light's red getting on the freeway, be aware. Well, hopefully someone in the traffic operations center okay, is listening we'll to this show this morning. And we'll, and we'll get a tweet or we'll enough. get a text okay. message and we'll know the answer. But to you shortly. did talk about when it comes to wrong way driving um, and Impairment is mm-hmm. the biggest issue. Correct. Um, but we also find out that DUI arrests are down. Um, and, and, and those that are driving under the influence in, in of drugs in Arizona is up. What do you take away from that? Is the is the driving impaired down and, and less people are getting you know arrested for that because less are drinking or is there less troopers out there? Like what, what's going on? And I wanted to can I can I follow up on that because my premise was is this the Uber effect that people have gotten the message they don't drive drunk and they do it and I got a I got a a, a text from a friend of mine who's in law enforcement we'll just leave it at that who said mm, we don't have as many officers out there patrolling for it. We may not be catching as many. So there's a lot of truth to that. There is not a lot of um, uh, enforcement, uh, that on-view enforcement that goes on. There's not as many officers out. Whether it's officers, deputies, or troopers, everybody has been building up from the Great Recession. But to Pamela's question about our DUIRS down, I don't have the numbers statewide, but let me give you the numbers for, for my agency, for the Arizona Department of Public Safety. In 2018, we arrested 4,991 impaired drivers. Last year, we, re- we arrested 5,655. So for us, they're up. up. Uh, our arrests overall over the last five years are up almost hmm. double statewide. I mean, not just DUI arrests, arrests, 
period. And interesting enough, our arrests are up to about 20,000 a year, 21,000 a year. But our use of force, because of some of the things that we've done with training and accountability, our use of force is down almost to half to about 360 incidents a year. Well, we find out here as well in some of these numbers that are coming out from the statewide DUI enforcement campaign um, that while law enforcement is seeing a lot of a lot more DUI crashes, they're, they're seeing them involving drugs, marijuana yeah. and, and opioids. So um, it's not necessarily that impaired driving overall is down. It may be the drunk driving is down, but you're seeing drug use in the impairment of that kind of creeping back Swapped up. Swapped one out for the other. So here's the staggering number for me. Uh, statewide, there were 57,514 crashes last year, mm-hmm. uh, involved 810 fatalities uh, and 15,689 injuries. So I know that's a lot of numbers to put on the radio, but really 810 fatalities. Our fatality count on Arizona Highway was up, but just like by about five or six. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's mm-hmm. five or six people that lost their lives, Families. impacted their family. Oh, yeah. My troopers had to Investigate. They have to see that it's uh, this whole this whole piece is complicated. No doubt about it. Can you stick around for a few minutes? Oh yes, yes, sir. Sincerely appreciated. He's Colonel Frank Milstead, the director of Arizona DPS. We want to talk a little bit because Colonel Milstead's been involved in a lot of the the drug interdiction efforts here in Arizona, and we're learning about a new form of marijuana and the unique challenges of trying to. Intercept it. We're talking to Colonel Frank. That's coming up next on Arizona's News Station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Yeah, every month we have the opportunity to sit down with the director of Arizona DPS, Colonel Frank Milstead, and we talk about a lot of things. Hey, almost every single one of you is going to be driving along the highways and byways around Arizona. You may come into contact with some of the fine DPS troopers out there if, like me, you have a problem uh, driving slower. But um, one of the things I know that you also have been involved in, a passion of yours, for lack of better terms, is the the drug task force and working on drug mitigation, interdiction efforts along our border. And we became aware of something uh, this week. Count me as one. I didn't even know this was a thing. No, I knew it was a thing. Really? Yeah, because what we're talking about here is the drug cartels. And instead of like, you know, huffing over hail bales of, of pot, they are now just concentrating it down into crude cannabis. And this is the stuff that's in the vape cartridges. So basically... It's it, a vaping liquid. They've cut out the middleman. Instead of bringing the marijuana in and making it into vape juice, they're just bringing the juice across, which I'm going to guess makes it harder for law enforcement. So obviously it becomes smaller. So they're filtering it and distilling the marijuana down to an oil. And where we heard it looks like motor oil. Yes, basically. And and where you have a 250 pounds of of cannabis of, uh-huh. of marijuana plant that, that that equates to about five gallons so a, you know a five gallon bucket of, of THC oil so you've made your chances of getting caught a little less um, the potency is uh, north of 60 percent and I've heard is actually as high as 90 percent uh, tetrahydrocannabinol which is the THC put that into perspective for us though will you colonel I mean you talk about like 60 percent and 90 it sounds like a lot but it is a lot but give and me a perspective there so back in the 60s 
60s uh, and 70s when people were growing marijuana or they were getting marijuana out of Mexico, uh, the THC content was somewhere around 3%. Wow. Okay. So now with hydroponic grows, with the things that they do. Genetic, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. With technology, basically. Yeah. They, they are now able to get a regular marijuana uh, to be upwards of 20%. And then when you distill it and filter it, uh, 60 to 90%. Concentrate. So, right. So kids can actually overdose and be hospitalized. And that's where you're seeing these vape cartridges like uh, Pamela was talking about. The kids can now smoke marijuana uh, out of a vape cartridge. It doesn't smell like burning marijuana. You're not going to, like, the, the smoking in the boys' room, like, somebody smoking weed around here. Yeah, or someone's smoking in your neighborhood in right. your backyard, and you, you can, can hear smell it. Well, yeah, well, lofting over your fence, and you're like, holy cow. Well, you can't smell that uh, the same way, and it's pretty undetectable, although the high is sometimes not manageable for, for people. And one of the big concerns, too, Colonel Frank Mill said, again, director of DPS joining us right now, when you're talking about those THC vape cartridges, the ones that created a lot of the injuries that we were talking about to the lungs and young people last year, they're coming from these black market uh, vape cartridges. Sure. And just like most drugs that get brought across the border from the drug cartels, whether it be pot, whether it be cocaine, whether it be meth, whatever it may be, it's cut. There are different things that are added to it. And the vape cartridges that are coming across the border, they're going to be adding that vitamin E acetate, Whatever it which is, right? is the injury that is happening to the lungs. Yeah. So how, how big of a problem is the vaping THC becoming illegally, the black market aspect of it, in the state of Arizona? Uh, I would say it's a huge problem. I think that you have seen the, the the amount of drugs coming over, and especially marijuana coming over the international border, has diminished because we're surrounded by states that have legalized marijuana. So the cartels are growing in Northern California. They're growing in Nevada. They're growing in Colorado. And you, you have to ask yourself this one question. And, and if you do this correctly, you'll understand the whole mentality of the cartel and those in the drug industry period is what do they want you to do they want you to use their product they want you to become addicted Hooked to your to product and so whatever they have to do to get you addicted mm-hmm. whether it's lace it with fentanyl whether it's increase the m- amount of tetrahydrocannabinol whatever it is they want you to addicted and if you happen to die in the process oh well they don't care because they're not scientists they're in the market of selling an addictive product to people in america and 63 million americans are addicted to drugs and until we do a national drug campaign and to get kids to quit sticking needles in their veins and suffocating white powder and smoking substances that they have no idea what it is, we are going to continue to have a drug problem. We will not arrest our way out of this problem. No. We will not treat our way out of this problem. We have to have a program to get people not to do this because it's a bad idea. Gosh, and, and you and I disagree on that. We're, we're, uh, can, I, can I call you a friend? Yes. Okay, good. Well, I think we're friends. By I the way, I didn't want to speak for you. I think we're friends, and we disagree on this, because I, I do agree you're never going to arrest your way out of it. I don't think you're going to treat your way out of it. But I also think that there needs to be an acknowledgement that at 63 million or however many other million of Americans use, whether it's alcohol or cigarettes, all the way to encephalating white powder uh, or sticking a needle in their arm, there's a scale that they choose to do that. I I think by regulating it and having more control over it, you could stop a lot of the negative. Well, and that's what Colorado thought. And now they have school-age kids bringing THC gummy bears to grade school. So I get it. I used to say the same thing. Bruce. Used I, used, I used to say, <laughs> I think everybody that wants to do drugs is doing drugs until the Colorado experiment. Okay. And then I realized I think I was wrong. 
Pearl we're going to continue to have. We're going to go arm wrestle it out here. Oh, by the way, I, I, I'm going to lose that. Yeah, also. I was going to say my money's on also, him, yeah, director of DPS. Thanks again for joining thank us. You, you bet. And Frank. the beauty of all this is, it makes people think. And thank you yes. for the opportunity. Here, here, absolutely. Hey, the city of Phoenix is coming up with a new argument for why they think the rideshare fees on Uber and Lyft are legal. We're going to ask a legal analyst if they've got a leg to stand on. That's coming up next on Arizona's News Station.